Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson bringing you the August 26th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by my consulting firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates, LLC. My special guest today is Yante Metzger. She is with Emily's List, and I have invited her here because I want to discuss the topic of women running for office. We know that here in the Augusta area, um, there have not been a lot of women uh, who have run for or been elected to uh, positions on the Augusta Commission. And one of the things that many of us were extremely excited about this time was that uh, there were uh, two women who were elected, uh, one won very narrowly in the runoff, one won uh, relatively comfortably in the runoff, uh, and that means that we'll have two women on the Augusta Commission for the first time uh, since 2006. Uh, if you look back on the history of the Augusta Commission since consolidation took place in 1996, the only women who have served there have been Barbara Sims in District 3, Betty Beard in District 1, um, Mary Davis in District 3, uh, and now District 3 again having Catherine Smith McKnight being seated in January of 2021, as well as Francine Scott in District 9 uh, being seated also in 2021. So while this feels like progress to us to have uh, two women uh, at once, when you look at uh, this is an 11 member body, including the mayor, uh, still our numbers are nowhere near parity with the, uh, the uh, representation of women in our community. So I asked Ms. Metzger to come in. I'm so happy that she is able to be with us just to discuss uh, what her organization is and what the trends are in regard to women seeking and being successful for office. Uh, what are some of the things that women in particular bring to elected bodies that may be unique and therefore necessary. Uh, so Ms. Metzger, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. This is a really important conversation. Thank you so much. Now, first off, give me what your exact, exact title is there at Emily's List and what that means that you do on a daily basis. Sure. Um, so I am the Deputy Director of Campaign Communications at Emily's List, and I work solely with women running down ballots, so for state and local offices. And I work with them and their campaigns to talk about media strategy, messaging, um, making sure that they feel comfortable um, in running for office. I work with our campaigns team really closely. Um, and, and at Emily's List, we work to elect women. That's really our ultimate goal up and on the ticket um, because we believe that women's leadership is vital. Women are 50% of the country and they deserve to be represented um, in the same way in all legislative bodies that we have. And so we really just work to get women elected. Um, we, work to, we advise them on their campaigns. We recruit women oftentimes as well. Um, and we are with them from day one, um, whether they want to serve in the city council or state legislature or in Congress or governor, whatever it is, we are with them for their careers and we work to make sure that they are getting their message out there, that voters can connect with them and that they can be strong leaders once elected. And how long has this organization been around? 
We have been around for 35 years. Um, we just had our big anniversary um, a few weeks ago. And we were really started um, in 1985 because our founder, Ellen Malcolm, she realized that a woman had never been elected to the um, US Senate in her own right. And she wanted to change that um, by helping elect Barbara Mikulski. And so she got together with a group of her closest friends and started a donor base for her and was successful. And we've really just grown from there. Um, Emily's List also, um, Emily in Emily's List is an acronym. Um, it stands for early money is like yeast, um, meaning that it makes the dough rise. Um, so it's really just a nod to the idea that you need to invest early in candidates and support them early um, to get them a boost so that they can win in the end. And that's what we do. We get in early with women who we believe can win. And we help a lot of the times get them through the primary and get them through the general election. Now, I have always thought of the organization as working with women who are running for, say, U.S. House of Representatives and for Senate, as you said, as was the origin of the organization. But I heard you mention early on that you do also work with state and local candidates. Uh, and of course, the focus of this show is state and local government. Uh, if there is a woman at the local level who is interested in seeking office and would like to take advantage of some of the services that you all offer, how does that work? What does she need to do? Yeah, um, yes, that is, everybody knows Emily's List for our federal work and we do great work there and have been incredibly successful, but we have really built out our state and local campaigns program in recent years. Um, I think we've quadrupled the number of people working on this work um, internally in the last five years or so. So it's a very important priority for us. Um, so a woman running for state and local office um, in her state, she can go to our website. Um, we have a form where you can fill out, um, which you fill out and you say that you wanna um, run for office. You can decide whether you wanna run next cycle or in five years, whatever it is. Um, and you'll be connected to our community. Um, you can go to our Facebook um, group called Run to Win, where we have, I think about 8,000 women who are all excited to run for local office um, one day and they share ideas, um, they talk through different things. Um, and we also have a training center um, and that's where we you know, do trainings on digital media strategies, how, you, how to launch your campaign or you've won your primary, what do you do now? And we host a whole, um, just a huge variety of different training topics that are um, inc incorporated in that. And you know, we also do in training persons um, when we are not in a pandemic, we do go to different states and train women on running for office, um, you know, whether it's 101 trainings, where it's the fundamentals of what it means, whether it's 201 when people's names are on the ballot and they just want support, or you're an incumbent, you know, we come to your state and we can talk to you about communications, digital strategy, whatever it is, but, it, but really just our website is a really great resource for women to get started. And as you discuss that, um, Tell me, uh, what are some of the greatest benefits that you all have found in having women serve uh, in elected office? Yeah, so I mean, women, women are, are half the population and therefore we should be represented at all legislative bodies. Women have been known to um, be more committed to building consensus when it comes to passing laws. You know, they want to work together with different people across the aisle to um, pass laws that tackle tough issues. Women are known to introduce more legislation and pass more bills. Um, and women also, I think, you know, people think of things as women's issues, um, and they certainly do fight for women's issues, quote unquote, but also women fight for families. You know, they fight for economic issues, um, labor issues. You know, when we think of things like equal work for equal pay, if you're, um, if you're a married woman and, and you know, your husband is making a certain amount and you have the same job and you're not, that affects your entire family. And that's a big part of you know, why we need more women in office to advocate for that. 
and more than anything, I think diversity is incredibly important. You know, we know that when people from different backgrounds are at the table making decisions, the decisions are better for the people that they're representing. And it's really, really important for us to um, reflect the diversity of the world that we live in and the people that we elect. Um, and that's why we're so committed to electing more women. Um, women work hard, they build consensus, they get the job done. And, you know, again, we are 50% of the country and we deserve to have the same representation in city councils and Congress and every legislative body that there is. Uh, does your organization keep any uh, statistics on, say, the uh, percentage of women that, percentage of, say, local elected officials, percentage of state elected officials that are women? Are there any good numbers or any good resources to get numbers on questions like that? Yeah, um, so we don't at Emily's List, but the Center for American Women in Politics is a really, really incredible resource that has been tracking um, this for about I want to say since the 1970s. Um, and, you know, right now, um, according to them, women hold about 29% of state legislative seats, um, which is a bump from just two years ago by about four points, which again is great. Um, and we have made significant progress, but, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, I think that they aren't able to really track things at the local level um, because it varies so much by state and there's, you know, so many seats, but at the state ledge level, we definitely have some good statistics from them. We do know that women are um, of the top 100, the biggest 100 cities in the country. Women are mayors of 27 of them. So women are mayors of, you know, Atlanta and Georgia, of course, um, but also, um, excuse me, sorry about that, um, but also places like Chicago or San Francisco, Phoenix, Arizona, women run all of those cities, which is, which is great and really, really exciting. Um, and also, um, I did want to mention that Nevada is the um, country's first woman majority legislature. So I think about 52% of the Nevada legislature is run by women, um, which is great. And we have states like Colorado, Oregon, Washington that are just behind them as well. And so we're getting there with gender parity. We just need to keep getting women to run and keep supporting them when they do. Um, and I think another big thing that prevents women from um, running is that the fact that, you know, if they do run and they lose, they often don't want to run again. And you know, you often don't win in your first time and you need support and you need to be motivated to do, to take that leap again. And that's what we do at Emily's List as well. So I just wanted to mention that as well. All right, uh, one question I did want to ask in relationship to that, you mentioned about how uh, we as women are reluctant to keep trying. Um, you know, sometimes people like we recently see with our uh, Democratic presidential nominee, he ran for president the first time 33 years ago, I believe. Um, so he kept at it. Um, what you're saying is sometimes women are less likely to do so. Uh, I think I've also heard that women are less uh, are shyer, I guess it is, about fundraising. Um, this whole notion of going to ask for money, uh, is that something that uh, is, um, is an issue? Yes, um, definitely. And I, I mean, as a woman myself, you know, it's always hard to like make that hard ask um, for something like that when you're fundraising. But of course, it is a key component of a campaign. Um, so yes, women definitely, um, they have a harder time, you know, making that hard ask, but they definitely also have a harder time um, accessing those fundraising circles that are traditionally open to men, for example. Um, and we do work with women on that. And that's why, you know, having Emily's support opens you up to a whole new donor base. Um, but, you know, also just going back to the point about, 
you know, women not wanting to run again when they lose. Women also like running for the first time, you know, I think there's been a study that has said that women need to be asked seven times to run for office before they actually run for office. Whereas men often wake up thinking, I would be a great legislature, le legislator. Women don't really like have that mindset and they need to, they need more convincing. Um, and that's what we do. We convince them that your experience matters, your experience, whether you are a mother, a small business owner, and if you're a woman of color, like whatever you have done in your life, like you bring all of that with you when you come to Congress, when you come to your state house and that matters. And that makes you a, an effective leader and a strong person that we want um, elected to these positions. Um, one of the things you pointed out, which is really significant. So while it the numbers have historically been low and there's still a lot of work to do. It seems like we are making some progress with uh, getting more interested, more women interested in running and in fact winning. Yeah, we are definitely making progress. Um, yes, long way to go. But, you know, I think in the past four years, especially women have um, stepped up more than ever before um, and putting their names on the ballots. I mean, I mentioned at Emily's List that we have a resource that you can use to sign up saying that you are interested and get um, tools to support you. Um, since 2016, we have had 55,000 women reach out to us saying that they want to run for office, whereas in the cycle right before that, we had about 1,000 women. So since 2016, it has really blown up. Um, that's just kind of one piece of evidence that shows that women want to run um, more than ever. But, you know, we're seeing it um, in Congress this year. I think it's almost 600 women are going to be on the ballot in November, which is huge. The legislative races, again, we have hundreds of amazing women who are running and winning, um, which is incredible. And in the last four years, it's really, really blown up. And women have really seen their leadership as something that matters and that is necessary for the time that we're living in. And we have welcomed that, you know, that interest. Um, and I think that the political environment is really right for women's leadership as well. Um, so we've really been capitalizing on that and giving women the resources that they need to be successful when they do run. Um, one of the other things, you know, you mentioned uh, mayors. Augusta is one of the city that's never, cities that's never elected a woman mayor, as you would imagine following the history that I discussed. <laughs> uh, we have done better with the state legislative delegation. Uh, somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, said, you know, has, uh, we know Augusta's never had a woman mayor. They asked me about Savannah. I think the city of Savannah has had one woman mayor that was sometime in the mid 90s. Uh, city of Macon, I'm just naming through the other major cities in Georgia, uh, City of Macon's never had a, a woman mayor. City of Columbus has had a woman. Um, in fact, she just finished this term and ran for the Senate, U.S. Senate. Unfortunately, she did not make the, the runoff for the U.S. Senate. Uh, but there was a woman who sought that office. She, she went from the mayorship in Columbus to seeking the office of U.S. Senate. Um, Atlanta, of course, has had a couple of women mayors. As I was thinking about the history, I think it's two, uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms now and Shirley Franklin probably 10, 15 years ago. So um, Georgia, then if you think on up the ladder to the governorship, uh, we had a woman run, uh, run a very serious campaign for mayor, for governor, I'm sorry, governor of Georgia last time, uh, came a little bit, just a little bit short uh, while I look around and many of our southern states surrounding us have had female governors, you know, the Texas, the Alabama, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, do you, can you, are there any 
common points? You know, what is unique about those states and those major cities that have decided that have elected women as compared to those who aren't? Is it just that those communities are more progressive communities or is it just that you, you had a woman who just said, I'm going to get out here and do this? I mean, do you have any inclination about what the difference is? Yeah, I mean, I think that it, de it depends on the woman and the, and the state and the seat that they're running for. Um, we know that with the women that we support, they run very authentically in, in the districts that they are, want to represent. They talk about the local issues that matter to them. Um, so it's really hard to generalize um, about one place versus another. But, you know, I think that women also need to, like, in many of those areas, like women, they, put, they took a risk. They put their name on the ballot, you know, and maybe in other cities, women haven't done that. Women haven't felt like that's something that they can accomplish. And, you know, it's really up to organizations like Emily's List, as well as, you know, communities that these women are a part of to let them know like, hey, you have this really great experience doing this in your church community. You are um, a part of your PTA and you do all these wonderful things for your school, for your kid's school. That's great experience. You should think about maybe running for a different office and encouraging women to recognize that what they have done already is valuable and something that we could see in a mayor's office and in a governor's office. So it really just depends on, you know, the city that we're talking about, the state that we're talking about, um, because it, because women can win anywhere. Women can win in progressive cities. They can win in conservative states. Um, they can win in rural districts. So it really depends on the woman and what um, that community needs at the time and her providing it. So it's hard to generalize, but I'm sure that there are really awesome women in Augusta um, and in other cities that you mentioned in Georgia who, you know, maybe just need a push. Um, and you know, if they had that push and they had the support and the infrastructure in place, they could definitely run a really competitive campaign and win. Um, what are some of the good characteristics as, as Emily's List um, does that work to develop candidates and help, help women run? Are there certain characteristics that you look for in people who have the potential to be good elected officials? I heard you mention, you know, service with the PTA, which reminds me, one of our school board members, at least one of them, that's where she got her start. Um, she was uh, working with her kids, involved with their schools, and was president of PTA, and next thing you know, she's interested in running for school board. So um, what sorts of things in the background that people may not think about will make you a good candidate that, that turn out to? Yeah, no, that's a, and that's a great example. That's really how it starts for people. And sometimes, you know, you see something in your community um, and you start a petition and you realize that you really enjoyed organizing people and you want to parlay that into a career um, in politics. That's really how it starts. Um, you know, I think the things that we look for in candidates um, are authenticity. We want people who are true to their values and true to the district's values as well and can represent them well. Um, we look for somebody who is willing to do the work because running for office is really, really hard. Um, it's, and for women, there are a host of other challenges that come with that, that men don't face. Um, it's hard work and we need people who are willing to make the phone calls, stay up late, do the call time, do all the things that are necessary to run a successful campaign. And women are willing to do that. We've seen that, you know, more than ever before. Um, you know, other things that we um, think really matter are women, you know, they, they need to like recognize that what they've done work, like, is, is important. I, I think that we too often don't value women's work um, and their experiences or, you know, we're often, if a woman is too assertive, she's considered power hungry or too ambitious and written off, um, when in a man, those are qualities that we, we want in, in our leaders. And so there's definitely a double standard that women are facing, but, you know, we need to 
we need to acknowledge it, which I think is good. And as a community, you know, in the last 10 years, these are conversations that we would not even be having. But now, especially, we need to, you know, encourage women to be ambitious and to, you know, realize that, hey, like that time I did that um, great thing for my kids' school, that time mattered. The time that I organized that fundraiser for my church community, that mattered. And that is something that is going to be um, important for if I do want to run for office. And that's going to, and that kind of skill and experience is going to make me successful. Um, is one of the things that I heard, and I'm just being very direct about this, uh, one of the things that I heard during this uh, particular election season was the notion that when you see men who are backing certain female candidates, it is not so much that they feel like this woman really has what it takes to serve uh, productively in that office. It is more like they think that this is someone that, that they're more likely to be able to, to manipulate or control. Um, how do you counteract things like that? I mean, obviously, if I, when I heard that, I was angry because I was thinking, hey, you know, I've never heard of a man supporting another man for office because it's somebody he's looking to control. So why is that a desirable quality for a woman? And, and that gets speaks to the double standards, I think, in mm -hmm. conditions. Have you seen that sort of thing play out? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that is, that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, people have this um, stereotype or this idea of what a woman candidate is that um, either she's too ambitious or she's too easy to, she's easy to control, which is a good thing. And these are just not things that we talk about when we talk about male candidates. You know, we talk about well, how women have to be likable. Um, for a man, likability is a bonus, but for a woman, it's a necessity. And these are just, there's just a host of issues that come with women running for office um, that men don't have to deal with. And that, I mean, that the manipulation, um, the common, that, that's absurd to me. I mean, women are very strong leaders. They know what they want and they run for office because they want to make a difference. And they are going to come, you know, they're only accountable to the people that voted them in. They're not accountable to the, the man who thinks that, you know, he can get what he wants through her. Like, that's not how politics works. And I think that most women running are, they, they know that and they know, you know, their values and what they're going to stand for. And they're not going to run in a way to please a man or what he wants. They're going to run in a way that is going to make their constituents happy and feel protected, um, especially in a time, you know, when state and local office especially is so, I think, at the forefront because we've seen the importance of the work that those lawmakers do more than ever these days. So, yeah, there's a ton of different double standards that women have to deal with. Um, but again, you know, us talking about them and calling them out is that's part of the, that's, that's important. And that's what we're doing. So these are good conversations to keep having. Um, you said, you used a quote that I really like. You said for men, likability is an option for women. It is a necessity. Yeah. Yeah. For men, likability is a bonus. Like if you like the guy, that's great. Um, if he's somebody that you can get a bigger, but for a woman, she needs to be likable for her to have any, any um, possibility of, of winning this election. You know, I think also about things like electability, um, which is another false metric that we use to judge candidates. You know, when we think about electability, electability really just means a candidate that we're used to seeing. And candidates that we're used to seeing are wealthy white men. That's just how the political structure in America has worked. Um, and that whole framing of electability already disadvantages women. It disadvantages people of color. And so we need to get out of that mindset, you know, because people are electable if you vote for them. It's not about, you know, 
whether what they look like. It's about who they are and what they can do for you um, when they're elected. Great. We have about 45 seconds left. <laughs> Is there anything you want to share with our audience before we close? Yeah, I would just want to say, you know, that if you're a woman interested in running for office, go to our website. Um, you should do it. Um, definitely do it. And remember that, you know, the woman that ran today makes it easier for the woman that runs tomorrow. You know, there are, there's so much diversity out there in terms of women candidates. And I'm sure that, you know, if you're a single mother who's scared to run because you're a single mother, there's one who has already won and ran and won. So there is a ton of different examples that you can look out for. And, you know, we want to support you and we want to help you. So definitely consider running for office because your experience definitely matters. Okay. I want to hear this again. If you're, if one woman has won, that increases the chances of another. What was it? Give me that exact quote. Yeah. Um, the woman who ran for office today makes it easier for the woman who runs for office tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much. We'll close on that note. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you for having me. Okay. certainly hope that you all enjoyed Ms. Metzger. Uh, I like the idea of bringing in guests who are not necessarily from our local community, but have something to add to the discussion that is relevant to us here in Metro Augusta. I also need to make one correction. Uh, sometime during my conversation with her, I said that it was uh, not often that you saw men uh, try to get another man to run for office in order to have someone that they think is going to be uh, easier for them to uh, to influence or control. Uh, I was absolutely wrong about that. After I gave it some thought, I realized, yeah, in my career, I've seen many times where uh, one male candidate tried to, or one male office holder tried to recruit uh, another uh, man that he thought would be someone that would always be in his corner. Uh, I will say, though, I think it's more likely that that scenario takes place with women. I think sometimes men uh, assume that because one is female, one is going to be easier uh, for them to uh, dictate what to do or easier for them to uh, get to quote unquote, see things their way. Uh, but that is something for us to think about. And I do uh, sincerely apologize for that because that didn't come out the way that I intended. Uh, for our upcoming shows on September 2nd, our guest is a member of the clergy. Uh, she is Minister Siobhan Williams. She's uh, the Georgia Organizing Ambassador for an organization called Faith in Public Life. Uh, their goal is advancing faith in the public square as a powerful force for justice compassion and the common good. Uh, she'll be handling part one of my discussion about accountability for elected officials. On September 9th, my guest is my homeboy, my church member, Mr. Nicholas Harrison. He is now a resident of Gwinnett County, uh, but grew up right here in Augusta and a graduate of Glen Hills High School and the Fort Valley State uh, University. Uh, he has been actively involved with the school board there in Gwinnett. Um, he is not an elected member, but he has been uh, particularly vigilant of that school system to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do uh, by his son and the other students there in that system. Um, both Minister Williams and Mr. Harrison will be talking about the topic of accountability, giving suggestions to us as uh, parents, as residents of the community, um, in terms of our civic engagement, one portion of that is 
obviously what we just completed with the uh, Richmond County, Augusta Richmond County Commission in terms of selecting people that we think represent our interest. Uh, but then there's other thing, once they're in place, uh, we selected the people that we wanted to have in place. And then oftentimes I'll see a year down the road, two years down the road, sometimes even less, uh, folks will say, well, that commission's not doing what I expected. Well, you just elected them. So how is it that you let them know what is the right way to get feedback to them about what your expectations are uh, so that they know what your priorities are and they put some plans in place to address those priorities? Of course, we know things don't happen overnight, um, but there are ways to uh, make sure that you stay on top of what they're doing for you. On September 16th, my um, guest will be Fred Russell, former Augusta Administrator and President of the F.L. Russell Group, LLC. Uh, and we're going to have a wide-ranging conversation about a number of topics. One of the other things that I have to bring up is the Richmond County Board of Education. Uh, as we had discussed earlier last week and then again uh, this week with the notion of accountability, those school board members work for us as well. Uh, the qualifying for the school board just finished last week. There are 14 candidates who have entered the race uh, for those seats that are available. Uh, first in District 1, Marion Barnes, who represented uh, District 1 for 20 years on the school board will be stepping down. He has decided not to run. Uh, there are three people who are, who are uh, competing now for that seat. Uh, District four has two, drawn two challengers, the incumbent being Wayne Frazier. Uh, District five has also drawn two challengers, the incumbent being Patsy Scott. Uh, District eight has drawn one challenger and District 10 has drawn two challengers. Uh, District 8 is held by Jimmy Atkins and District 10 by Helen Minshew. Um, both of everybody on the school board has competition this time around. Uh, so that stands to be really interesting and we'll plan to have uh, those candidates in uh, just like we did for uh, those running for the Augusta Commission. As always, please remember 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Tune in here on WKZK.net at 1600 AM or 103.7 FM next Wednesday at 1.30 PM because local matters.